go ahead and turn to James chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Um, as I prepare to teach this this morning and preach it, uh, I want to first give you the caveat of when you teach through books, you don't pick and choose what you want to talk on, so uh, we'll pick up and we'll discuss it uh, as it's in front of us this morning. Um, but in a minute, I'm going to read this story and I want to give a little snippet about it. It's, a, it's just a funny story. It's not a very theologically uh, deep story. It's just a funny one. Uh, and so let's, let's listen to it. It says, there was once a rich man who was never near to death. He was very aggrieved because he worked so hard for his money and wanted to be able to take it with him to heaven. So he began to pray that he might be able to take some of the wealth with him. And an angel hears his plea and appears to him. Sorry, but you can't take the wealth with you. The man implores the angel to speak to God to see uh, if he might bend the rules. The man continues to pray that his wealth could follow him. The angel reappears and informs the man that God has decided to allow him to take one suitcase with him. Overjoyed, the man um, gathers the largest suitcase he has and he fills it with pure gold bars and places it beside his bed. Soon after, the man dies and shows up at the gates of heaven to greet St. Peter. St. Peter, seeing the suitcase, says, hold on, you can't bring that in here. But the man explains to St. Peter that he has had permission and asks him to verify his story with the Lord. Sure enough, St. Peter checks and comes back and says, you're right, you are allowed to carry uh, one carry-on bag. But I'm supposed to check its contents before I let it through. St. Peter opens the suitcase to inspect the worldly item that the man found too precious to leave behind, and he exclaims, you brought pavement. Anybody get it yet? All right. Um, as in streets of gold, you get it? Yeah? Um, it's, yeah, it's not that funny. I didn't come up with it. Uh, but it's this, it's this perfect story this morning for what we're going to talk about. Um, because as I read to begin with this service, is Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Jesus says in verse 21, For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And um, when I look at this text this morning, I want you to know we're going to jump around. We're going to look at verse 1, and then we're going to look at 4, 5, and 6, and then we're going to look at 2 and 3. Um, but what we see in this whole context is that James is addressing uh, the quote-unquote rich. So let's look at verse 1. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Uh, when you look at this, we see obviously James says, come now, you rich. So he's addressing the quote unquote rich in verses one through six. Uh, but in scripture, we find there's two types of rich people. Two types, I'm going to refer to as wealthy people. Uh, it's the godly blessed or godly provided wealth, or it's the wickedly obtained wealth. Um, because you see, if you read the Old Testament, uh, you see time and time again that God provided wealth to certain men and women. Think about, um, think about uh, if I'm not mistaken, who I, if I'm not getting this mixed up, think about Solomon. Uh, God granted him one thing. And what does he choose? Wisdom, right? And then what happens after that is God gives him wisdom, but God also gives him the wealth of the world, it says. See, God provides wealth to some for his will and his purpose. But the second types of wealthy we see in Scripture, and it's what James is going to discuss this morning, is the wickedly obtained wealth. And that's what I want us to focus on. He's talking about those that obtain the wealth, the, the money they have by wickedness. 
Uh, but I want us to first think about it like this, and I'm going to say more about this later, but many of us, if not most of us, probably all of us, would say that I'm not wealthy. So what does this mean to me? How do I apply this to life, my life this morning? Um, and I think back to, y'all remember Tracy that came to the church before we moved buildings? Um, Tracy would always express this, and I love his, his expression of this, and I wanted to talk about it for a second this morning. He would always say that we have more in our bathrooms than third world countries have in their house. We have electricity, we have water, we have a roof, we have walls, we have a floor, we have all of that. See, we, we may not consider ourselves rich or wealthy, but when you look at the world around us, we really are. We really, really are. And I think back to Sarah's going on a mission trip this summer, and uh, I forget the country she's going to, but she's going with Kennedy First Baptist, and they go and they build houses for families there. And when they build these houses, what they do is they build a shed, is what we would call it. Uh, you see the sheds that are on the, the wooden foundations? That's pretty much what it looks like, except for it's on concrete. It's got, it's, it's tin, it's got a tin roof, tin walls, and it's got a concrete floor, and it's got a couple of windows that's made out of tin, and you just lay it down and latch it. So when we think about it this morning, before we jump to conclusions and you say, well, I'm not rich, I'm not wealthy, so this doesn't apply to me, in reality, we really are. Uh, and it may not feel like that at times when you look at the banking account and you think, well, I don't have money to pay so-and-so, but when you really get down to it, we're a lot more wealthy than we really think we are. And then even on a different note, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bunch of money we're talking about this morning. It's that when we do these things out of the wrong heart, then that's the issue. All right, verses four through six. Let's look at it. It says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud and crying out against you. And the cries of the harvest have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person who does not resist you. So first off, we see in verse 4, is he says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud. So James gives this specific analogy this morning, this specific situation where these people, these wealthy people of the time, they, they had people that worked for them, that mowed their fields. Um, they, they would, by fraud, keep back what was due to them for working. So the first thing we see is that they, they wouldn't pay the employees. They wouldn't really own up. They wouldn't do their end of the bargain. They wouldn't pay the people for the work they were doing. And so, but then he goes on, he says that James also puts in the last part of this verse, he says, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. It's that not only are we accountable to the people in our lives that we, we may find ourselves mistreating or, or, or doing wrong to so that we can obtain something, that we're not only uh, uh, accountable to those individuals and this individual, this rich that he's talking about, they weren't accountable only to the workers they had, but they were accountable to the Lord. He says that the, the cries of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord. And James, is, and just to really put this in our context, as most of us, we don't have employees. Most of us, we don't deal with this on a regular basis. But let's think about it like this this morning. What things can you do? What things do you do in your life? What have you done in the past that might have been cutting somebody else down so that you can benefit from it? 
What lie might have you told? What, what, what story might have you said so that you could sell something for more than it's worth? Or that, that, that time that you may have put more hours than you actually worked on a time card? What is it that we do in our lives at times when we're just not thinking right? That is just wrong. Maybe you haven't done this. Maybe this isn't specifically for you this morning. But then verse 5. Since you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts in the day of the slaughter. See, the, the, the wickedly rich, they, they have no concern for others. They don't, they're not concerned for those in need. They're not concerned for to doing what God has called them to do. They're not concerned in helping those that might need help that they can help. This doesn't, we're not, James isn't calling us to help everybody because that is just not physically possible. But what he is calling us to do is with the funds that we have, with what God gives us, maybe it's our time, maybe it's our money, maybe whatever it could be, we're called to help people around us instead of living in luxury and self-indulgence. But then in the latter part of that, we see that he says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. He's about to go on here. He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And I want us to know that when James says this, he says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. This is what we call um, a metaphor. James isn't saying that, that they, these rich people literally killed these people. He, he didn't say that not only did he not pay them what they would do, but he killed them. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that because of the, the way that they have treated the individuals that are employed by them, the individuals that they have done wrong, then it has led to a life of destruction and, and death. That they can't do what they are needing to do because they are being withheld from. So what we see here this morning is this right here is the story, and this is an example of those that obtained wealth wickedly. Now, there's a flip side of that is, then what are we called to do? We're called to live right, right? We're called to treat those like we want to be treated. We're called to, to not lie about our taxes, to not lie about our time card, to, to do the work that we're getting paid to do. We're called to live rightly so that we are the other person in this story. In the end of this, he says in verse 6, he says, He does not resist you. And in verse 4, he says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field which kept back crying against you. The cries of the harvest have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That these people were just workers. That they worked to the best of their ability. They worked for the money. They did what they were called to do. And maybe that's us this morning. Maybe we need to focus on the other end of that. We don't need to lie or cheat or, or try to get around the system. We need to do the work that God has placed before us. But then in verses 2 and 3, he, James is about to express the judgment for those that are wickedly seeking wealth. He says it's twofolded here. So let's look at the first one. In verse 2, he says, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver has corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. I'm going to stop right there. Because the first way that we see judgment on those that are wickedly rich, and this is the reality in all of our lives, is that the things of this world, it, it will be rotting one day, and it will be moth-eating, and that it's not eternal. When you look at the first part of James, James chapter 1, verse um, 10, it says, And the rich is his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. The things that we have in this world, it's not going to last forever. And the things, and that's why Jesus makes a point in Matthew that wherever our heart is, is where our, wherever our treasure is, where our heart is. And just like that funny story, this guy's treasure was gold, right? His wealth. 
And when we get to heaven, it's insignificant even to the point of where we see that we walk on streets of gold. It's such an amazing thing. So the first judgment we see in this is that the, the things that we obtain in this life, it's, it's going to corrode it. It's going it's to be rotten. It's going to be eaten by moths. The second, though, is a little more uh, serious. He says, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last day. The, the punishment that really matters is the punishment of the soul of those that are, are seeking wealth in a wicked manner. That those, their, their judgment will be the, the flesh like fire, right? That the hell, the eternal damnation. Because what James is saying is those that, that seek this wealth in an ungodly way, that is not a true characteristic of a disciple of Christ. That those that, that when we seek after these things and we're living wrong, then it is sinful, that it is wrong. So this morning, I want to make it clear once again that James isn't saying that it's a sin or it's wrong to be wealthy or to have. It's not wrong for us to have where people around the world don't. It's just, it's, it's not sinful, but what is sinful is that when we break down everyone that is around us and to seek these things. That when we, when we cut down people, when we lie, when we cheat, when we steal, when we do these things so that we can be gained and not, and then it causes issues for others, then that is sin. The wealth itself isn't sin, but the way that we pursue it, the way that we live our lives, that is what's wrong. And ultimately, wickedly wealthiness is ungodly and not a true characteristic of a disciple of Christ. Those that do this and those that seek this wealth in an ungodly way is not a true characteristic of Christ. So as I stated in the beginning, when we read this, it's easy for us to push it to the side. I'm not rich. I don't have a lot. So, so clearly James isn't talking to me this morning. And that's how many of us would approach this text. Is that it's not talking to me. But when you read throughout the scripture, what we see is that God's word is proper for all men. So what connection does it have to us this morning? What do we need to understand is that this right here, these principles of cutting someone down to gain something from it. It doesn't matter if you have $2 in the checking account or if you got $2 million. That if you lie, you cheat, you cut down, you destroy to gain uh, more uh, wealth or to gain more positions or whatever it may be, when we do this, then we are sinful and we are wrong. So, we must live as an example of Christ in all areas of life. But this morning we're specifically looking at being an example of Christ in the area of the way we handle our business and our financial pursuit. But as we look at this this morning, I want to look at two accounts that Christ had with two different individuals. So if you would, turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Chapter 1, verse 1, I'm just going to read the whole thing through. It says, He entered Jericho, was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking uh, to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus, and he hurried down, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, he came down and received him joyfully. And when, then, and when they saw it, they grumbled. 
He has gone to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I have I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, if anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to them, Today salvation has come to your house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is a story that all of us know, right? Uh, and I was about to sing that song, but then I was like, no, I'm going to get humiliated. So I'm not going to sing it. Uh, but this is a story we all know is Zacchaeus, right? And there's a, a song we've probably heard from a kid to now. Uh, and I almost sang it, but I didn't. Um, but, you know, this story of Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. And when I think about it, when we think about a tax collector, you probably think of that, um, well, you, that own businesses might think of IRS agents. But most of us would think about H&R Block or something like that where we go get our taxes done. But it was a little bit different in this time period. What you had was you had these people that would go house to house and they would literally collect the tax of the people. And so what would happen a lot of times, these tax collectors, let's say uh, they owed uh, the city or whatever, they owed them two shekels. All right, so let's just say they owed them $20, okay? And they would go to these people and these tax collectors, many a times what they would do is they would tell you, if you, owed them, if you really owe the state $20, what they would tell you is that you owed them 40 And what they would do is they'd take that $20 that is owned to the government and they would give it to the government, and the other $20 they would put in their pocket. So these tax collectors, they got a bad name. They got a bad rap because they were literally lying and stealing and cutting people down so that they can obtain wealth and riches. And that, so that they can be this. And this is why they address Zacchaeus as a sinner. And he very much was, just like all of us were before we come to know Christ. But then we see this story that sometime, it doesn't tell us the entire conversation that Christ had with Zacchaeus. But he, he, tells, he tells Jesus that, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give half of what, I've, what I have to the poor. And then if I did anybody wrong, I'm going to return it fourfolded. Now, to me, that shows a changed heart right there. Because Zacchaeus is going to make what he did wrong. He's going to make it right. He has, he has changed in his life. And so what we see in Zacchaeus' life, ultimately, is how we should handle life now. Not before. See, Zacchaeus, before, he, he lived exactly what James is warning against. But what we see is that when Zacchaeus comes to know Christ, he makes it right. And I guarantee you that when Zacchaeus, after this encounter that he had with God, after doing all these things that he said he would do, that he probably didn't do that anymore. He probably didn't steal. He probably didn't lie. He probably didn't cheat. We don't know. It's not there. But in reality, his heart was changed, so he most likely did not. So what we see is in the first example is that we were to live as Zacchaeus did after his conversion, which was making right things, wrong things right, and living for the Lord and being an example. Then if you would, turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark 10, 17 is the second account that we're going to look at this morning that Jesus had with another wealthy man. It says this, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up, ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. 
And the man said to him, Teacher, I have done all of these things from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Key word is that Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me, disheartened by the saying. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, these are two little accounts that Christ had. These aren't, these aren't, um, these aren't isn't parables. This isn't Jesus telling the story to get his point across. These are actually two incidents that Christ lived. The first one we see is the man comes to Christ and he makes his wealth about Christ rather than about himself. And the second one, though, is this man that grew up in the church because he said that he kept the commandments from his youth, that he was a Jewish man, and that he did these things. He thought he lived right. But see, Jesus understood that he was missing something. Because in reality, we can't, right? We can't keep the law pure and holy. We can't do that. We have to have a Savior. We have to have Christ. So Jesus understood this. Jesus understood that there was one thing that this man lacked. And he says, look, I want you to go and I want you to sell everything you have and I want you to give it to the poor. This isn't a command to us this morning. Jesus isn't telling us to go and sell everything we have, live in a box, and give everything to the poor. That is not what he's saying here. But what Jesus understood about this man's heart is that the only thing that was in his way was the wealth that he had. That's what was holding this man back. That the wealth that he obtained through his life was holding him back from truly being saved. And what we see in this is that it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, the first man was changed by Christ made the right wrong that he did in his life right, and then he lives right. The second man we see is that he comes and he kneels before Jesus. Jesus tells him what to do, and he leaves, and he's brokenhearted because he just don't feel like he can let go of the wealth. See, this is what James is saying to us this morning, is that we are not to be like this. We are not to be like these men and women that, that seek the wealth of this world in a wicked manner. But in reality, we should be like Zacchaeus, and we should live for Christ and Christ alone. And that, that is talking about the way that we do business and we do financial pursuits. As Sean and Michelle comes, the question I have is simple, is, which one of these two men are we going to live by an example of? And I want you to ask yourself two questions. One, ask yourself a couple of questions. The first one is, am I going to be an example of Christ in the way that I handle my business, in the way that I handle finances? Am I going to be an example of Christ? Am I going to live right? Am I going to be the, the right employee? Am I going to work as hard as I can? Am I going to keep the right hours? Am I not going to lie and cheat and do the wrong things? Or are you going to be an example of the rich young man and you're going to live the way you want, pursue wealth and riches the way you desire and we see that he walked away and he didn't have a relationship with Christ after because one that can do that is not an example of Christ. This morning, which example are you going to be? Are you going to live for Christ in your wealth and in your uh, pursuits of wealth or are you going to live for yourself? Heavenly Father, we come now and we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for James chapter 5, 1 through 6. Though it's not a popular topic, though it's one that we may skip over because we really just don't see ourselves as wealthy. 
God, what we see, though, is there's a lot of principle there that we can apply to our lives when living for you in this manner. And I just pray this morning that none of us continue, if we're going through it, if we're doing it, God, none of us continue to live wrongly in these pursuits, God. That we live for you, God, when it comes to these areas of our lives. That no matter if we feel like we've been treated wrongly or we haven't received what we need to receive, God, no matter what's going on, we live for you, God, in these pursuits. We love you. We praise you. We glorify you. This morning, I pray that your will be done, God, in your son's holy name. Amen. If you would stand and worship with us.